This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Go With Yammo. Go With Yammo is an art exhibition app which helps you to find the exhibitions, art fairs and art events happening all around you. The app displays exhibitions based on your location, so the one closest to you will be at the top of the list, but if you're planning a trip, you can of course change your location to a different city. What makes the app really fun is that whenever you are at an exhibition, you can check in and earn points, which can then be used to redeem prizes from the in-app store, such as prints, exhibition tickets, books and more. Go With Yamo also create custom virtual exhibitions for galleries and artists. They will be creating the virtual space for our upcoming Art on a Postcard summer auction, which is definitely worth checking out. You can find all of these on their website, along with some great blog content, including artist interviews, exhibition recommendations, quizzes and reviews. The app is free to download from the App Store and the Google Play Store, so make sure you check it out and visit their website, www.gowithyamo.com. That's www.g-o-w-i-t-h-y-a-m-o.com. Hello and welcome to Art on a Podcast, the podcast created by Art on a Postcard. We are live with our November auction and it really is set to be one of our best of all time. I'm going to say it. Um, I've had a look over the cards today uh, again and there's just some really tremendous works of art. As soon as I opened up the first lots, I was like, whoa. Um, it starts with Ruth Philos, um, contemplative red watercolours, and then straight into Peter Lazel's fierce portraits that are quite um, seductive and cinematic. And then you just go a little further on, and then you have Gabrielle K. Brown's surreal piece. Um, it's of two men sat at a table hooked up to these little mountains uh, and they're chained to a snake and there's a wolf down on the floor gnawing at their shackles and it's just it's just always genuinely amazing how we end up with the most varied exhibition in London. Um, it's really exciting and I must say that two pieces I really love are lots 267 and 268. Two collages that are much better explained by the artist herself. Melissa Stern is my guest on today's podcast and I loved chatting with her. Her energy is so infectious and she just exudes this warm creative energy which just really cheered me up and you can probably hear that over the process of the call. Um... In the episode, we chat about ambivalence, absurdity and academia. Melissa Stern is an artist and journalist living in New York. Melissa has worked in sculpture, photography and drawing for over 20 years, exhibiting throughout the US as well as Europe and Asia. With a background in anthropology, Melissa's work reflects both on non-Western and outsider art influences. Her drawings, collages and figurative sculptures 
are richly drawn and deeply layered with quirky, often dark humour. As a journalist, Melissa serves as a contributing writer for Hyperallergic and she has covered major exhibitions and assignments throughout the world. She served earlier as the principal art critic for the New York Press. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll see you on the other side. So we got there in the end. <laughs> we did. Hold on. I'm just going to do one thing. I'm going to close the blinds behind me because I, okay. I see it. it's quite, <laughs> it's quite brilliant. Yeah. You look like you're sort of uh, holy in some way with that light behind you. Yeah, well, I am, but <laughs> let's see if that, let's see if that does it without making it too dark. Great. There we go. There my, my holy glow is on hold for now. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes. How did, how did your move go? Well, everything's still in boxes. I'm ah. like covered in yellow paint because we've gone to yellow. And, you know, it's always a stressful process, um, but we did it and we're fine and the house is great. So where am I calling you? Uh, I am in upstate New York. I'm in the Catskill Mountains. I don't know if you're familiar uh, with this area or, but it's about, it's about two hours, two and a half hours outside of north of New York City. And um, it's a, a beautiful, just beautiful, wild and gorgeous uh, mountainous area. And we, yesterday, I'm so glad we didn't, we didn't try and speak yesterday because we have, because I guess because of climate change, we have been having the most extraordinary epic rainstorms and it rained for maybe 20 hours yesterday and the internet went out of course and but today it is like it is like the whole world has been reborn the sky is that renaissance blue and everything is sparkling and it's just gorgeous and and quite quite crisp you know it's it suddenly turned to autumn so yeah, it's tremendous. I'm so yeah. happy that, that the weather has taken a turn in such a way. <laughs> Thank you. I'm <laughs> glad it stopped raining. <laughs> yeah. So, so I don't know that part of the world at all. Um, and so if you were to describe it to an alien like myself, how would you, how would you describe it? It's very, they're, they are, they're, I think they are considered relatively low mountains. They're very old. And occasionally, um, when we dig in our garden, we'll find ancient fossils. So this area was, in fact, I think once an ocean a um, very long time ago. But we find fossils of ammonites, you know, sea creatures. And it's very um, much of the land where we are is protected, both state and federal. And so it's very, it's forever wild and um, quite just breathtakingly beautiful. Beautiful, we have coyote, we have bears, we have snakes, we have, um, I think they've reintroduced uh, elk, we have bobcats, you know, it's, it's really quite wild. What has changed radically since 2020 is the influx of new people living here because of the pandemic. Mm. And it's, it's close enough to New York pardon me, to New York City, that uh, this has always been kind of a vacation, kind of a destination, but it 
it hasn't been, it's been a little sleepy, which of course we all like. And because there are such, such strict zoning um, rules on what you can build and how much you can build, there will never ever be a strip mall up here um, because it's protected land. But suddenly because of the pandemic, Oh my God, I think the, the number is extraordinary. It's, uh, this was the fastest growing county in the United States wow. during the pandemic because thousands of New Yorkers came up here. Um, so it's, it's, it's changed a bit. It's become a little more crowded and uh, a little more traffic. And you know we'll see, people are a little grumpier. <laughs> people are grumpy in general, I find. I don't know about, about you. Um, but uh, it's but it's beautiful and it's very peaceful. And um, my family's had this house since 2000. So we are not pandemic newcomers, <laughs> but um, it, it, it's been a wonderful, very safe place to shelter, certainly for the past 18 months. Mm. I think, you know, city life, it, the pandemic really exposed how much cities um, and city life in general has started to become quite oppressive. And I think there has been like very little care or thought from a lot of city dwellers, myself included, <laughs> been like, get me out of here. Like, this is crazy. You know, it's like giving people kind of a time to, to mull that over. So I'm hoping that over time, maybe, um, those you know smaller places and smaller towns and more rural areas kind of develop a different infrastructure that can handle it eventually but there's always you know with, with these kind of displacements of people it right. always comes with with challenges um and yeah i i hope it i hope it works out for yeah. you well one of the challenges is that the the internet system is not up to the 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 weight, I guess, of the number of people trying to use it. And that's why our internet keeps going out. So are, are you in London now or are you outside the city? So I'm actually in Norwich, which is a city north of London. I um, see. Yeah, I moved here recently. Um, but previously I had been, I had moved down to a coastal town. Um, oh, nice. In the UK, having left London for pretty much the same reason. Admittedly, I was yeah. like, Oh my God, this is so oppressive and awful. Um, and then found my way to Hastings and now I'm back in a, a city. It is a smaller city than London. Um, I don't think I could move back to a big city like that. Um, but how do you find, so you're close enough to New York, I guess, that you can make use of the cultural kind of- Well, and, and to be clear, we still have our place in New York. I mean, we, we have a loft. We have, uh, in 1990, we bought the whole, a floor of an old uh, factory building. So we wow. have the kind of quintessential New York loft where half of it is my studio and half of it uh, we live in. And we own that. And so there, there's no reason not to have that. So even during the pandemic, we went back once a month or so to collect our mail, to check on the loft, um, you know, you know, just to dip in and dip out. And now we've been going back more. And I, I have to admit, I do miss New York City. Um, it's very beautiful here. It's very beautiful. It's very boring. <laughs> it's very, <laughs> I mean, they're just, it, it, you know, when you've lived in, well, even living in a small city, you know, there's, uh, I miss being able to walk out to a cafe and get a cup of coffee. 
Um, I miss, you know, going to the hardware store. Uh, here, everything is a drive. And so it's a little, it's like this, it's a balance, you know, it's safe, it's beautiful. <clears throat> uh, we do have friends here, but, um, you know, I'm a city kid, I think at heart. Um, I did not grow up in New York. I grew up in Philadelphia, which is a smaller city. Um, I like, I like knowing my neighbors. I like, I like the pulse of the city during, as the pandemic has loosened a little bit, well, as more people are vaccinated, you know, I enjoy going back to New York City and there's a park near our house that I, I really, I enjoy just sitting and watching people and just watching the parade of humanity as insane as it may be. And, you know, it's certainly, um, I don't know if you've looked at my website or my work at all, but, you know, it's all, it's, it, that influences my work. Um, watching people and, and seeing how they walk and seeing their attitudes and parents and children. So I, I don't think I could move up here permanently, 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 permanently. I'm just not that kind of rural person. <laughs> and um, even our closest city <clears throat> does not have a cinema. It does not, you know, our closest city up here in the Catskills. It's still, it's still very rural. So um, I think for myself and a number of uh, creative people who've moved up here for pandemic right now is a funny a tipping point. I mean, it's not over uh, by any means, uh, but you know, after 18 months, um, you start to <clears throat> think about choices in the future. So I think for me, uh, I should add that my studio up here in the country is in a barn. And it's a, oh, it's a fabulous space. However, it is a barn. <laughs> it does not have running water and it is marginally heated. So I think by the time we're in the depth of winter, I don't think I can, I can spend another winter here. Um, by the time we're in the depth of winter, I think I may be back in the city. Um, it's a kind of place, it's a kind of studio where actually in, in normal times, I have to move everything out in the winter because the paint freezes, wow. which is not which is not good. So, um, yeah, lots of changes for everybody, I think. Right? You know, you mentioned had I looked at your website, and I certainly have. And actually, you know, I absolutely adore your work. It is. Oh been, my goodness! Yeah, it's been such a joy to look through the website and. Um, your drawings in particular are just some of my favorites that I've looked through for this podcast um, and I was just wondering if it's always a good place to sort of kick off the art chat by coming to you first um, <laughs> and asking you for those who haven't had a look at your work or who aren't aware of your work how would you as the artist describe it to them? Oh gosh um, so my work is figurative um, it's figurative but it's more related to self-taught artists and um, non-Western art than to Renaissance art, I think. The figures are um, sometimes missing a limb <laughs> or, or anatomically incorrect. Uh, that, that does not mean that they're, they're horrifying. I think they're more funny um, and full of pathos and emotion. Um, I always say they're more emotional than anatomically correct. 
And I think a lot of the work is, is about the ambivalence that people feel as parents, as lovers, as human beings. We are, our lives are full of a mixture of feelings. And, uh, you know, love is often tinged with regret or love is tinged with other things. And so I think the work is very psychological um, and it, it tends to draw people out, which is, you know, my favorite part of being an artist is hearing what people think and hearing, um, I, I, hearing what stories my work might uh, evoke in somebody. You know, I'm much more interested in dialogue than monologue. So I see my stories, uh, my, well, I just Freudian slipped it, didn't I? I see my art more <laughs> as kind of short stories in some ways. And um, that, is that a good description? <laughs> I think, um, you know, it's, I can certainly see that um, the, the emotional, the psychological side in your works when it, just by way of it of how sort of even if it's a 2d drawing like three-dimensional right. they are in respect of you never seem to shy away from the darker aspects the, the humor as you mentioned you know you mentioned humor the absurdity of like living as a human right. being in the world right. um, <laughs> extremely um, absurd right <laughs> right now but go ahead yes um, and where does that kind of um, acute openness and understanding of human nature come from? Like if you were to go back into sort of your, your earlier, um, you know, formative years, where, where did that? Oh you're, you're asking me to psychoanalyze myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, um, I, I think, you know, sidestepping questions about my mum and dad. Um, uh, I will say that, you know, my, my background, I've, I've made things my whole life. And um, I came from a family that was not terribly wealthy. And my mother's attitude was, you know, why buy it if we can make it? So I grew up making things. And that was tremendously fun. It wasn't, it wasn't done in any way under the the guise or the feeling of not being wealthy. It was fun. So I've made things my whole life. Um, academically, I studied anthropology at, at university. So I, at, and my specialty, if you will, was studying why people make things and the power of objects. So I think that was very formative. Um, and also at university, I studied a tremendous amount of art history. I didn't actually do a ton of art making. Um, I always made things on my own, even while at school, but I really studied uh, serious academics, um, which I think has really, in its own way, very much influenced what I make. Not that my work is academic, I think far from it. I, I think my work is perhaps the opposite, but it, I think it comes from really thinking about and studying the, the power of objects. And it what blows me away is, so you're sitting there, north of London in a city, and you've looked at something of mine and it touched you, right? It moved you. And that to me is mind blowing that, that a work of art could make this connection between us, right? Yeah. yeah. So that, that I think is what is so deeply meaningful and, and often what keeps me going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is, is that sense of, okay, you and I now have a small connection. 
Um, and, and so that, I, I like that. I, that brings me joy. Um, yeah. I think, and so uh, the other thing I've, I did forget to mention is that I work in a tremendous number of materials, uh, which might be interesting for your listeners. So a lot of the sculptures are clay, fired clay, and found objects, although though most people do not even notice or see that they are clay because I, I don't use glaze, I don't use clay in a ceramic way. I use it as a tool of sculpture. So I carve it, it's, it's really, it's sculpture um, with a lot of junk and wood and metal and found objects and always uh, drawn and painted surfaces. And at the same time, the drawings and wall objects that I make are also full of objects and full of, even if they're just drawings, they're full of a lot of different materials. So there's a, I think a richness of surface and a, a chunkiness, if you will, of, of materials. Um, you want to touch them, <laughs> right? I mean, I think I, I think a lot when I have exhibitions, people, people, and if I'm there, people often ask if they could touch something uh, because they, it, it draws them into that. So I just think that's, that's something to know and something to think about. Yeah. Uh, what do you say when people ask, can they touch them? Are you open to people getting their hands on your artworks? Usually, usually. I mean, sometimes if something is very uh, delicately surfaced, occasionally I'll, I'll say no, but r rarely. Most, mostly I'm like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Because I think that's something people want to do in yeah. life. They want to have a tactile relationship with mm -hmm. things. Um, who hasn't who hasn't been in a museum and secretly like reached out and touched <laughs> something with one finger, right? You said <laughs> it, not me. <laughs> Hoping the guards will not see. I mean that that saying they are not playthings, they're not toys. <laughs> but but um, yeah, I usually I think I usually do say yes um, mm. because I think it gives people some another kind of of connection when they can touch something. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how, how is your relationship, you know, because as well as working with an artist, as an artist, you also work as a journalist as well. Yeah. And so how does, how does that idea of sort of writing about and around objects, items, people, and then also being one and cre like creating those items, objects and things. What's the relationship like between your writing practice and right. your art practice? That's, that's a wonderful question. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I, I think, well, first of all, I've been very, very lucky. For the most part, I get to write about things that interest me. And so I often tend to look at self-taught artists or, art, or things kind of slightly out of the mainstream. Um, I have written a great deal about, about non-Western art. Um, and so I write about what interests me, which is very lucky. I, I do write about contemporary art, but very, very rarely will I write about the big, you know, the big show at the at MoMA or the Metropolitan Museum or you know, the Tate. You know, I'll write about odder things. So that really piques my intellectual curiosity. And I get to write about things that have touched and moved me. Uh, I also think that when I, when I write about something, I often have to do some research into it. Who is this artist or what is this art movement or you know, when, when were these frescoes painted? And so being able to do that kind of research is very, is interesting and I think enriches my own work. Uh, 
I think being a, a, an arts journalist and a working artist, I'm very sensitive to how fragile artists and art careers are. And uh, I'm not saccharine or um, always super positive, but if there's something I really hate, I won't write about it only because who am I to destroy or, or trash someone's career? I think it's more respectful as a working artist to just say, and oftentimes I'll say, this is just not my thing. This is not my thing. <clears throat> Why would I write about hard edge abstraction? That's not something I relate to or particularly understand. So I try and be sensitive. Now, as I said, I, that doesn't mean I'm always positive, um, but I try and always remember what it's like to be an artist. Um, I'm, I'm more likely to be uh, highly critical of say a big museum show, but, it, mm. <clears throat> but so I, I, you know, us, us artists live, <laughs> live delicate lives sometimes. Yeah. So, so I think, uh, I think it makes me very hyper aware when, when I am writing and maybe more thoughtful. I mean, I think there are ways to be critical as an arts journalist that, uh, that are critical and thoughtful and appropriate more than anything. I also, I also teach at university. So I think working with students who, again, you wanna be critical and you wanna give them good feedback, but you don't wanna trash anybody or or I should say, I don't want to trash anybody or, or quash a young spirit, <laughs> you know? I think that is a big, you know, a big, a big part of what influences me when I write about artwork. <clears throat> um, sorry, I've got a little fall, the <clears throat> frog in my throat, as we say, because yeah. of the pollen. But I do want to mention to you, um, and I forgot to send you an email. I apologize. It's been a crazy week. I actually have a big show opening next week in New York. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah. So I have, I have a show opening at a gallery in Brooklyn uh, called The Gallery, LTD. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's called Housebroken. And I'm super excited about it. Uh, forgive this pitch, <laughs> but I'm super excited because I, it's a collaborative project with a dancer. And I really, I really have long been interested in collaborating with artists in other media. And this is a, a wonderful dancer named Louisa Pankost, who I've collaborated with before. And the, the show is called Housebroken. And it will be work made during the last 18 months um, and has to do with notions of houses and home. And incorporated in the show will be some video monitors and Louisa will dance in response to the artwork. And then that will be videoed and projected as a part of the show. And then she will perform every day that the exhibition is open. She will perform live. Yeah, wow. so we're, we're super, super excited about this. And it's super fun to, to work with somebody um, who responds artistically in such a different way. You know, it's completely physical. So when we're done, I'll send you a link or I'll send you and I'll send you the invite to the show so you can see it. Oh my God, please do. That sounds incredible. Yeah, and thank you. So, so you'll be in Brooklyn. I'll see you in Brooklyn in the next month, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll catch the boat. I'll be there. <laughs> there you go. 
Um, that sounds fantastic. So how did you how did you meet this dancer? How did you start collaborating together? Well, her her day job, if you will, is uh, she works at a gallery where I had an exhibition in 2018 called Strange Girls. Right. And um, she asked me if I, how I felt about her doing a piece in response to the work. And I was like, oh, my God, yes. Mm -hmm. So she she did a we, we did a project called Strange Girls Dance mm -hmm. and she danced every day for seven days um, in response to some of the work in the show and and videotaped it. And then we put it up on social media. So it and. It, it lived in a very current way. So she would dance one day and post the videos the next day. And of course they still live on her website and my website, but the idea was that they would be kind of of the moment, you know, that she would, she would dance every day. So, and we, we've just kept in touch since 2018 and we really enjoyed working together. And I had the opportunity to do this exhibition. And I think, because it feels like the paradigms of so much in the art world have shifted in the past uh, 18, 20 months, I felt like I just wanted to do something different. So she mm -hmm. will she will be performing and we also are welcoming other performers wow. within reason. <laughs> you know, I don't think we could, I don't think we could host a jazz band <laughs> in, the, just in terms of space, but um, hopefully we will do, we will have a slam poetry event and the idea is, is that we all need to collaborate in life and none of us wants to feel so alone. And so we're welcoming in other performers and we'll, we'll see what happens. I think part of it is we don't completely know what happens yeah. and that's exciting. Yeah. Um, Wow, yeah. tremendous. I wish I, you know, I joke, but I really do wish I could, I could turn up. And <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. The other exhibition you have coming up in November is our Art on a Postcard. Indeed. <laughs> um, Indeed. And so I was just wondering for our listeners, could you talk through your very generous contribution to our auction for the Hepatitis oh. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, you know, I was I was really honored when I was contacted to be a part of this. I, I have had several friends with hepatitis C, um, one of whom passed away, and others who live with it as a chronic condition but livable. And so I thought that's a fabulous cause. Why, why not? Um, so I decided to make uh, two postcards that really seem to, I don't know, kind of embody how I work. So meaning that I use a, a, a large number of collage materials and I use a lot of materials from old magazines, predominantly Life magazine uh, during and after World War II. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting era to me in American history, certainly world history, but Life magazine was a magazine that portrayed a vision of America and a vision of the world, certainly during the war years, that was very formative, I think, for everybody. Um, your listeners may not be familiar with this magazine, but you can find them at flea markets and everywhere. And so I made two postcards that are uh, collage and drawing using some imagery from those magazines and both are figurative both are i don't know if you've seen have you seen them yeah i have indeed yeah 
So a little bit funny, a little bit odd. Um, I, I, there's one, the postcard I love and almost did not send to you is the one that has, it's a very minimally drawn figure and in its head, if you will, is floating some type from a magazine article that says, when I found out. And I thought that was particularly apropos for uh, this cause and, and this event. Mm. So yeah. I, I'm very excited yeah. to be a part of this. And, and I, I look forward to seeing all the other cards and, and things when they go online. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much, Melissa. That is absolutely incredible to hear where these cards, you know, have come from and the ideas behind them. And I really, really urge our listeners as soon as they are, I think when this goes out, they will be on our website, artonapostcard.com, um, for, for all of our listeners to, to go and take a look. And um, yeah, thank you so much, Melissa, for not only your generous contribution um, of beautiful artworks, but also for giving some time over to me this oh, morning. My pleasure, my pleasure. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Have a wonderful rest of your day. I'm, I'm glad that there's some sunshine for you to enjoy out in the beach. Thank you, Bye. thank you. And uh, it's lovely to meet you. And thank you, thank you for this interview. It's been really fun for me as well. So, cheers. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Melissa. Thank, thank you. Take care, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Art on a Podcast with Melissa Stern. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed chatting to her. Thank you, Melissa, for speaking with me. You can check out her lots as well as the entire auction on our website at www.artonapostcard.com. And you can follow us on social media at Art on a Postcard for all the updates. And I will see you for the next episode, which will be with the wonderful Kathy Tabak. See you next time.